Testing one, two, three. Here I go. Give me that microphone. Welcome to the Badass Recovery Podcast. I'm Pamela. And I'm Melissa. And we're here to give you straight talk. Clarity, people. On the big words full of stigma. Addiction, sobriety, recovery, shame, and even the G word. (laughs) Don't worry, we'll ease you into it. We're two badass recovered alcoholics who've truly transformed our lives through the process of recovery. So be prepared for an unfiltered, deep, and powerful journey. We're about to drop some truth bombs here, but you are here to find your freedom from that thing that is keeping you small. Yes. Let's do this. Welcome to your badass recovery. Welcome to your episode two. I am Pamela, one of your hosts, and I'm so thrilled that you're here. If you're new and you're like, who the fuck is this woman? What am I listening to? Okay, well, please go back to our past episode where you can learn all about us. If you're coming back, Fuck yeah. I'm so excited to have you because today we have an incredible episode for you. This is the mother of all the terms that are scary and edgy and full of stigma. Today, we will unpack what the fuck is addiction. Yeah. We unpack that word, how it actually showed up in our lives for Alyssa and I, because we suffered a lot with addiction, but we didn't know what it was. And again, Having so much stigma and misunderstanding made it harder to pinpoint our problem. Here's the thing. There's so many people around us, maybe yourself, who struggle with this. But how do you know if it's just a face of toxic behavior or if it's the real deal? We're going to clear that up. We're going to talk about how addiction feels like inside of our minds, what that little voice tells us. We're going to talk about what it feels in our body, how we act and then can't stop. We're going to talk about the difference between sobriety and recovery. And as usual, we're going to start talking about how we found our first steps to being unstuck. Cool? All right. So please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Share this episode. We need your help in reaching more ears, and we can only do it with your help. All right. Well, thank you for being here and enjoy as we unpack what the fuck is addiction. Hola, hola, everyone. This is Pamela. And Alyssa. With my Badass Recovery Podcast. And today we're super excited to welcome you to our second episode, because today we have a hell of a ride. We are asking the question, what the fuck is addiction? Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, even just saying the word gives me such such a different range of tingles. (laughs) All the feels. All the feels. All right. Well, as always, we are going to start us off with a definition. So what is addiction, babe? So I will tell you that there are many definitions out there. And the one that we chose is from somebody that we feel is a mentor to us, a teacher for us. So Tommy Rosen defines addiction as any behavior you continue to do despite the fact it brings negative consequences into your life. Oh, we do love that definition because of its simplicity, 
and it's truth. It's funny because I close my eyes and I am trying to kind of piece the words together. And ultimately, it's it's simple. It's I don't want to do something and yet I do it anyway. You know, and I love that it also speaks to the range of what could be addiction. Yeah, because it's not just about substance, alcohol, drugs, but also relationships, sex, gambling, thought patterns, yeah. like worry and anxiety. And I think that all of those could be addictions if you want to stop and can't despite the negative consequences. Yeah. And putting it under those terms, babe, it really means like if you're human, you are likely to have one of these. And you're also likely to fight tooth and nail to actually get honest about it and even use the word for it. I know I did. I can completely relate. And here's the deal. I also want to bring in one little other nugget from another mentor, Gabor Mate, mm. who is one of the most well-read, well-documented speakers and doctors on addiction. Yeah, he's amazing. And he adds something I think is important to note, which is that addiction is the temporary relief or pleasure. It's an escape. And that is something that is so misunderstood about addiction, at least it was for me. I didn't understand that what I was using alcohol for was an escape. It was the solution for my pain. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you bring that up, babe, because ultimately that's where we begin the journey. We're surviving from some sort of pain whatever that looks like. yeah. And so we've spoken a little bit about our stories in episode one. I mentioned that for a long, long time, wine really was my best friend and part of my identity. And I saw absolutely no harm in drinking. I just got to the point where I couldn't control either when I wanted to drink, you know, like I said, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. And I did. And I thought I was changing my mind. My voice gave me an excuse. And because it was my voice, mm. I thought, oh, well, I'm changing my mind. I'm in control of mm. this choice. And I wasn't. And we'll talk a little bit about that more. But also, there was this little, this little flip from being my best friend to now taking over. Now Mm. that is the center of my life. And so to explain a little bit addiction, I think for me, I have to talk about how it feels. Yeah. Because this beautiful babe in front of me talks so much about how it is as far as like from her mind perspective, and I'm all feelings. And for me, addiction truly was a very overwhelming amount of feelings that that kept me caged. So tell me about what it was like for you. I'm going to take you back to where I left off in my story. If you remember in episode one, I mentioned how addiction had got me to a place where my my nine-year-old and I had a night that was a little bit like what some people call my bottom. And I ended up entering a program of recovery, which was so vital and so beautiful and so necessary. I mean, it really saved my ass. And so 
as a result of that, from 2009 to 2014, I had recovery. I mean, I was sober. I was free of the obsession. And for the most part, when I look back, I know that I was happy-ish. Now, what happened in 2014 is where I want to start to pick up the story because that's where I truly began to understand addiction in all of its magnitude and its beauty. Mm-hmm. In 2014, I had remarried and kind of taken up my life back on track because one of the beautiful things about sobriety and recovery, and we'll, we'll cover a little bit more about what that looked like and what that is in our next episode, but is that it kind of gives you the ability to return back to a normal sense of self and, and to be your, your best self, right? And so for those five years, again, I was kind of building a life that was once more free. And in 2014, since everything was back on track, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm done doing this, right? I did not have a recovery scenario that felt free and beautiful. It just was kind of like the thing I had to do in order to. So it was easy for me to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. Thank you, God. I got it. I have all the information I need. I have all the inspiration. I'm on track. I'm just going to stop doing this thing. Mm. So I did. (laughs) And I was told that it wasn't going to be good, Mm -hmm. but I can get a little arrogant and I can get a little self-centered. And I, in fact found myself obsessing again. Not so much about the drink, babe, but about all of the hows and whys I wanted desperately to control my life and to control these emotions that were running rampant. And I had no true, again, I I go back to the word because it's so vital. I, I didn't have a program. I didn't have a resource. And so now here I am five years sober there's no substance of relief mm. in my life, which again, that's sobriety, but there's also no other sources of relief in my life either. Mm. Because when I took away the program of recovery, I took away kind of everything. And so what happens at that point is it's almost like I'm drinking, except I, I physically am not because I'm irritable. Mm-hmm. I'm angsty. I'm trying to manage and I can't. I'm always in my head. I have this crazy design and and it fucking sucks, Mm. right? And so I'm at this point of complete disconnection with with myself, with the world, with everything. And I'm just like in this jar. I always see myself as a mosquito in a jar, just like, you know. (laughs) And I found myself going to a CVS to buy eye drops. And I just happened to put a four pack of little Chardonnay bottles as an afterthought on the register, a little bit like giving myself permission to, after five years, surely this is not going to eat me up alive anymore. Like, surely it'll be different. I don't know if I really thought about it or if I didn't. It's almost like what we call a blind spot. Mm. And I sat in my car in the parking lot and I drank the five little bottles of Chardonnay or four or six. I don't even remember. The point is the minute that the alcohol hit my throat and my bloodstream, I felt a little bit of that joy and connection that we were talking about. The first, like, this is how I survive. And it was, it was crazy, babe, because I truly felt 
Number first, I I felt connected and I felt just kind of like, the dragon is back, right? Mm. And I was terrified because I I understood contextually what was happening and I understood that this was not good, but my mind just wasn't available to save me from this choice. My mind just wasn't accessible to stop me from doing this. And so off I went into a two-year relapse. Mm. And it's funny because I say it all in one sentence. But you have to understand two years is a really long time to wake up every fucking day wanting to not do something and doing it anyway. Needless to say, it was progressive, but it progressed fast. Addiction is a progressive disease. And it also doesn't respond to information, as in I had all the information. In fact, the five years that I had done sobriety, I was one of the people that was going around in the city where I live in Dallas teaching what addiction was and what the solution was, right? I was one of the people who could quote you with a source of information, the page where you could find this particular line of information. It wasn't enough. I want to pause you because there's a couple points that you're making that I just think are incredibly important to underline. The first is that your awareness, self-knowledge didn't change anything. No, it, no. And I think that's really important because the other thing that you said is that you were powerless over that first thought about alcohol. It wasn't conscious when you were putting the wine into the kit. You were just doing it. You didn't have the power of choice in that moment. And I love that you're saying that because for so many years, you know, I heard the word powerless and I was like, I'm not powerless. I'm kind of, you know, really just like I look at my life. But that's where it gets tricky and it gets cunning because we are kind of raised to believe that we can use our willpower and that we can make decisions that stick, right? And our mind is designed to protect us from shit that hurts us. But when it came to alcohol, I just didn't have that power. And I knew that I didn't have that power and I still went there. That's the crazy. That is exactly what the disease of alcoholism is. Yes. Like my mind made me believe that I would this time have that power. Exactly. And you did not in your own human power have the ability to not drink. Absolutely. And that makes you fall perfectly in the definition. Yes, absolutely, right? And even to the point where you were using that to escape the pain that you were feeling. Because the one thing I would love for you to speak about, you use sobriety and recovery almost interchangeably. And I'm getting from your story, they're different. You know, it's very clear to me now it wasn't at the time. So when I say sobriety, I really do mean the fact that I wasn't drinking, right? Sobriety was a little bit of, well, for starters, my parting point, but also my goal. Like I wanted to not drink, right? And sobriety by itself is just not having the alcohol. So sobriety equals abstinence. Absolutely. Great. When I talk about recovery and the reason why I don't feel like I had true recovery during those first five years is because recovery is really that new life that we access once we grow the 
sobriety into really a process of thriving and freedom. So it's really about your whole life. It's about the whole life. It really does feel like sobriety is just the seed and recovery is the tree. Awesome. I love that definition. And we're going to go much deeper into recovery in our next episode. Absolutely. But I think that it's super wise that we do state that here because those five years I wasn't drinking. And I actually did have a program of recovery. I recovered through the 12 steps and that was great, but there was something missing, right? And so for me, that became painful. That lack of, of that little something became painful. Which it wasn't just something small. It was a big something because there were other areas of your life that you were in pain. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so again, we always go to an addiction, like you stated, as a source of relief. And so when that two-year period really starts to happen, Mm. I start to, well, for starters, I dive straight back into my disease, right? Again, my mind is not protecting me. Like imagine if you touch a flame, babe, your mind protects you from ever touching that flame, right? Bad consequence, you don't do it again. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? First little four bottles of Chardonnay, monster starting to rear its ugly head. For me, it's like, "Eh, no big deal. Tomorrow will be different. And before I know it, my mind, rather than saying, no, 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 don't touch the flame, my mind is saying, you know. And again, the you know, it's my voice. So I started to dive into this. I'm thinking, since I'm here, so again, this is the voice of my addiction, right? Since I'm here, might as well try the, all the new beer that is available in the U.S. Try, like I give myself, again, I gave myself permission. I wasn't giving shit, man. I was now a prey and a slave to my addiction, which is centered on my mind. So I cannot use my mind to relieve me from it. Mm. Now, what happened with my body Again, the second component, right, of addiction. We talk about it being centered in the mind, but what happened to my body is every time that I put alcohol in my body, it wanted more. Hmm. Well, the way I understand alcoholism is that it's the combination of a mental obsession, which you just spoke to perfectly, and a physical craving. Right. So, Tell me what the physical craving felt like in your body. Every time I put one glass, my mind gives me permission for one glass, right? My mind doesn't say, here, we're going to have a bottle because I know what happens with a bottle. Once I put the one drink in my body, I want more. Mm. I get a craving for more. I have an abnormal reaction. Like normal drinkers will be able to have that switch and their mind can say, dude, you've had three you've had four, you're tipsy, enough. And then their mouth says, I've had enough, no thank you. Yes. I take one and I want a second and I think I'm changing my mind, right? And then I want a fifth and then I want a tenth and then I want to go to the neighbor's house Mm. to see if he has alcohol because surely there's always more until I pass out. Mm. That's how my body operates, which is stunning until I understand that that's the second part of my addiction. Yeah. I have a mind that cannot keep me away from the first drink, and I have a body that cannot stay stopped at the first drink. 
Mm. So it's a cycle. Wow. And once I enter that cycle, which feels like a solution, by the way, I'm stuck. Mm. And it sucks. Tell me about how this was displayed in your life. Yeah, well, I want to tell you first how I even came into understanding the word alcoholism. Go. Right? Because in my family, we talked about this in episode one, alcohol was culturally part of everything, how we celebrated, how we relaxed, and everybody drank in my family. It was always plentiful. And so my first experience of hearing the word alcoholism was when I was a little girl and my mother talked about my uncle Frank. And my uncle Frank was somebody who drank every day and he couldn't hold a job. And so he was a source of embarrassment. And the way my mother spoke about him was embarrassment. And I just remember feeling the embarrassment for him. Like, oh, alcoholic means can't stop drinking, drinks every day, and can't hold job. Did you think that he was choosing this? I had no idea. I was like off talking to my friends, right? Like right. I'm a little okay, kid. Okay. You, you just but, remember it was embarrassing. But here's, well, well, why this matters is because I developed this relationship between the term alcoholism and something my mother said that I heard in passing. And so as I get older, that's what this word means. Alcoholism means somebody who can't stop, who drinks every day, and who can't keep a job. And that wasn't me. I didn't fit in that definition. Mm. I could keep a job. I didn't drink every day. I was a binger. I drank on the weekends to a blackout. I was obsessively thinking about alcohol when alcohol was not in my body. Mm -hmm. And then once I had my first sip, it was interesting for me because sometimes I could stop. I really sometimes early in my disease, and you should know that it's a progressive disease. So the older you get, the harder it is to stop. But I remember when I was a teenager, I could say, I'm going to have two. And sometimes I could have two. But when that happens, right, first of all, I saw everybody who would have the half cups of drinks and I would never understand those people. Ever. Ever. Because I was in the worst mood. Like my day was fucked. I hated everybody who was in my day if I had to and I stopped, okay? Mm -hmm. Second of all, I could not tell you that that was for sure a thing. There were many times, especially later, where I would say, I'm absolutely having two. And I was queen of making promises. So I would tell you exactly how many I would have. And then many, many times, the minute I had that taste, my body physically needed more. And it was like this weird thing that would happen where I just knew I was getting drunker and drunker and could feel that my voice and my language was getting more and more slurred because there's this this initial high, right? And then it's just like you could stop. But like physically, I couldn't. It was literally impossible. And I remember these distinctive moments that were like, I just have to keep going to a blackout. I feel grateful for the fact that I blacked out many, many times. Yeah. I personally did not black out with men. I blacked out with a pound of peanut (laughs) M&Ms because (laughs) 
where I would go to <laughs> was the candy shop at <laughs> 12 o'clock. It was not to the sex store. That just was not my particular brand. That's okay. I was doing the other thing. <laughs> like, but I say that because one addiction just went to the next, right? And then I would end up totally blacked out. And so alcoholism was really amorphous for me just because I went through periods of abstinence. So thank you for bringing up the differentiator between sobriety and recovery because I really could go through those periods. But when it came to that first sip, it was off to the races. And the last thing I'll say is that when I was experiencing something emotional, I remember this one day that I call my rock bottom. And my rock bottom was this day where I was really upset about something that was happening at work. And so I made a promise to myself that I wasn't going to drink alcohol on a Friday night. And I went out and somebody bought me a shot. And that night I was off to the races. And I woke up the next day in my friend's house with a box of Girl Scout cookies, all eaten. And I decided that day I was going to drink the way my mind wanted to drink. I made an agreement with myself to go do whatever my mind wanted to to do. Balls to the wall. And I literally went on a bar crawl by myself for a full day. I went to my godson's first birthday party and I started drinking there. And I started drinking beer. And then I went, rode the train from New Jersey back to Connecticut where I was staying and I have this drink. And as I'm on the train, I'm looking at these families and I'm thinking, how desperately I want to be connected to people like that and how desperately I want love in my life as I'm drinking, writing my dream for love, right? And this is how the disease manifested in my life. It was at the same time, I knew it was insane. I loved the feeling of confidence and power it gave me and hope. I could dream when I was drinking. Well, I love that you're describing that because that is exactly the insanity that starts to baffle us where in little or big ways you know it's like your Achilles heel right and you try to control and you try to use your willpower and you and you know that shit is just unraveling Because this whole idea, what you just said, I'm looking out, I'm writing my dream and looking at the families, but I know I am disconnecting myself from every possibility of doing that, whether you know that on a rational level or you're just living it right in your body. For me, every time I drank, babe, it literally was like I was walking to the wall and unplugging myself from everything that was good. And the shit part about it is my mind gave me the opposite version of that. My mind said, if you drink, you'll be more creative. If you drink, blah, blah, and you'll be able to control it. And that's not true. Our mind lies to us in our disease. Absolutely. And the other thing that just came into my mind when you were talking is gabormate says something so genius. He says the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. It's connection. Mm. And that 
was so true for me that I was so, that mental obsession completely disconnected me from whoever was in front of me. I couldn't be with you, present with you, if I'm thinking about alcohol. Because your mind is obsessing. Exactly. You're in your own little hell of obsession. And that's how the disease robs us. It's a thief. Right. It robs us of the thing that we care most about. So it causes this loop of insanity because the more I listen to the voice of my disease, the more I drink, the more disconnected I feel, and the more I need it again to relieve that pain I feel. Well, and for me, what happened is it disconnected me from myself. Yeah. And so in those two years, the disconnection with the world was obvious. My new husband at some point realized after a year, by the way, because we're very, very good liars Mm. and we will protect our disease, right? We will protect our addiction. And so he found out that I was drinking one year into my relapse. Now, bear in mind, when I met him, we were both sober. So this was hard for him and he helped me so much. But eventually my disease kicked him out. He packed a bag and and left. And so it was very obvious that my disconnection to the world was happening. But the most tragic and the most painful one for me was the fact that I was so disconnected with my own self. Mm. Not just that I wake up every morning looking at myself in the mirror, not recognizing who I saw, but in this constant cycle of not being able to hold my promise of I'm not going to drink today or I'm going to just drink one or whatever the fuck my mind told me. You stop believing in yourself. You don't trust yourself the more that you break that promise. I knew from the five years of information that I couldn't source this decision from my mind. And yet that's where I lived for two years. So I promise I can't hold it. I tell myself and I am a horrible person because this is where the awful language and the self-loathing and all the things come in. I stop trusting myself. And that alone, that pain alone gets me to a place of powerlessness where all I can look for in a solution is the relief, the immediate relief. And that's where I got stuck because I kept going back to the drink. And how did that feel? Like, take me to that moment of like, you don't trust yourself. You don't believe in yourself. How did it feel? It is the most hopeless and helpless feeling in the world. And that's the whole, whole, that's the whole. Now I say it with a whole with an (laughs) H-O-L-E. That's the whole where we curl and, and live, right? And it's this, I don't believe in myself. Also at this point, I was so full of shame. And we're going to break that down because it is truly shame, that disconnection, that feeling of disconnection is the shame in words, you know, and and then the one that I brought on from what the world outside reflected directly to me. But it, it feels it's the worst pain in the world. Yeah. There's your brain screaming, you don't get me. You say to the world, you don't get me, which again is a source of disconnection. You don't understand me, which again, that's why it's so vital to have a community. We're going to talk about that in recovery because we're talking about the problem, but there's a solution, right? But that's why the you don't get me is so isolating while at the same time giving yourself every excuse as to if you had my life, you would do it too. 
I just love how willing you are to be vulnerable about how it feels to be in the state of hopelessness. Yeah. And I think it's also a good entry way into hope. Yeah. Because I'm sitting here looking at you, this beautiful woman with truly one of the most healthy, grounded, fantastic relationships with your son that I've personally ever witnessed. And I've had the gift of witnessing you both this week. So to go from that place that you just described of utter hopelessness to hope that you're physically, you're actually the same person. Like we didn't Mm -hmm. come in, we didn't rewire you, we didn't like manufacture anything different. And yet you radiate, you have a loving relationships with people in your life. How did that happen? And that's what we're going to break down in our next session. Absolutely. We're going to talk a lot about how we both in our stories got out of that place of pain, right, of addiction to the place of recovery. And of course, my son plays such a pivotal role. So thank you for bringing up my beautiful baby, baby who's 20, funny, because he, he truly was a source of inspiration. But ultimately, here's the truth. While people around you can inspire you and motivate you and you kind of have to get to this place where I'm describing of hopelessness and pain in order to really ask the question, am I ready to do anything in order to get out of here? You've heard me say the word decision. And in the definition of addiction, we talk about that hopelessness because the truth is I kept trying to decide not to drink. I kept deciding that today was going to be different regarding this whole thing that at the same time I've explained was so radically devoid of power. So long as I kept trying to decide to not drink, I was bound to fail because my mind couldn't stay on track with that decision. I had to implement something completely different. For me, the decision was to get out of the pain by bringing in recovery in its framework, which for us is program and, and we'll talk about all of that. But just to leave you with, you know, the wrap up of my story, as it happened, I realized that all the information in the world was not going to get me anywhere, but I did have to hold on to one piece. I was not a shitty person. And this, if nothing else, I knew. I was a person who suffered from addiction. And understanding that nugget, that I had a mind and a body that were differently wired when it came to my alcohol, gave me the clarity to start again from a place of hope. If I am not a shit person, and this is not about getting my act together and all these things that, I, that were so painful, and understanding that addiction wasn't full-blown operation in my life, then I could start to do something about it. Yeah. No, we're not shitty. We're sick. We have a disease that we didn't choose. Right. Gives us the ability to get help and treated for it. Yeah. I have a question for you. Yeah. The premise of, of what we're doing is to take away the stigma. So take me back to the fact that we define addiction so simply. Mm -hmm. And through our stories, we have kind of shown how 
it was manifested. How did you actually get to a place where you were able to take away the stigma and the embarrassment and all the stuff that you felt when you were a kid to jiving with this whole thing? Because you and I do jive with that term. So walk us through that. I love that you're asking me this. And first, I just want to say what stigma means to me. Stigma is a mark of disgrace. So my mother talked about Uncle Frank with this embarrassment. And so that word alcoholic to me meant weak. It meant loss of power. It meant embarrassment. And so I will tell you that when I was told I was an alcoholic because I lost my job and was told I was an alcoholic. My mind said, no, I'm not, but I wanted my job. So I followed a few simple steps that are laid out in the program of recovery I chose, the 12 steps. Okay. I still thought alcoholics were embarrassing. Mm. as I took these actions. Okay, so you're doing it, but inside you're still full of... Exactly. You know, yucky and, and judgment, w- stigma. Exactly. And the experience that happened to me by taking these steps changed everything. And my life started to open up. And then my mind started to see a new reality. So when you were feeling that, though, Was that when you were like, oh, the term alcoholic is actually not shamey awful or I mean, no, I I did not change my stigma until I started doing the work. Mm -hmm. And that for me happens most in my life. Right. I don't necessarily want to go to the gym in the morning, but I do it because I feel better on the other side. Mm hmm. And I had to apply that same formula here that I was told I was an alcoholic. I was told there's a program of recovery, which means a program of action. I was told to do it. I did it. I had to set aside my old beliefs because my old beliefs were not working for me and they were keeping me stuck. Therefore, I had to take the leap of faith, Mm. which is also proven in the fact that I saw other people with the same disease that were healthy, that were living, that were thriving. And I wanted that. For sure. So I did what they told me to do. And when I did what they told me to do, my life changed. And then my mind caught on. It was like, wow, this is so much better. How could I have ever thought something else? Right. And I think that you're just describing the simplicity of how when we stop fighting this term, when we stop using our old prejudice, whatever narrative, for you it was with Uncle Frank, right? For me, it was similar, right? I I actually didn't have a reference for an alcoholic in my family. My family are all hard drinkers, by the way, which made it very confusing. The hard drinker is the person that kind of looks like me. They drink a lot. But when the shit hits the fan for them, when they have any consequence of weight, they actually still can manage that decision. So my family members would wake up after a little bit of a too much, you know, wine, whatever night and wake up and say, 
All right. Well, that was that was a little much. And then they actually could decide and implement that decision that they didn't drink. And so where I got confused is I thought everyone around me does that. Then surely I can. And I didn't understand the difference. And that's the demarcation. Yes. The power of decision. Absolutely. I couldn't actually stand in that truth. So all the fighting with that term, alcoholic, alcoholic, addiction. I was like, I'm not that. I'm not that. And then when I was like, crap, why am I fighting this? It's actually freeing to understand that I'm built differently. It's so cool. We get to share both our experiences here because they are so similar and then they're also different in some ways. I was still fighting when I went into AA. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for me, action changes thought. Action is first. I didn't have to change my prejudice. I didn't have to stop fighting. I didn't have to do any of that. Mm -hmm. I just took a different action. Right. And that action was what gave me a different way of thinking and a different way of feeling. And that is something for me that was really important because when I first went in, I still had all of my old beliefs. Right. I still was judging everybody. And I thought that I was still totally different. I didn't think I was an alcoholic. I didn't call myself an alcoholic. I thought that I had all of the same prejudice. Right. And I stayed. And I just was willing to do the work, take those steps, which we're going to lay out for you in the next episode, really get into what recovery means. And that's what gave me a new reality. Yeah. And and by the way, I did not, have so you just said for you action goes before thought i think that for me that was true because my thought remember my thought my information couldn't actually get me to the other side i too had to take an action program in order to kind of shift but all i was saying is the information made sense and gave me hope yes. because when mirrored to my life that was reflected right your story yes. and my story don't need to look the same in any way shape or form addiction is not a definition that stems from the consequences of our lives. Because by the way, to the outside world, everyone thought I had my shit together. Everyone thought my life was great. It was truly the disconnection and the consequences that were internal. And so if your story and my story look different, but we share the commonality of the mind obsession and of the fact that once we begin, we cannot either moderate or stop then boom, that's the little nugget that ties us, right? And if Beautiful. our problem is the same in lesser or bigger degree, it doesn't matter. There's a million points in the middle, then our solution will be the same. Boom. I love it. <laughs> Mic drop. Okay. And we will talk about we, what we each did, by the way, in the next episode. She's very 12-step based, so am I. But by the way, we believe there are many pathways to recovery. For me, it was this and. So that's going to be super exciting. We're going to talk about all the things next time. I cannot wait. And if you're willing today to take that first step, please go to mybadassrecovery.com slash podcast for a list of resources for you. Yes. And you can learn more about my beautiful partner, Alyssa. And Pamela. Yes, ma'am. And as always, we are so excited that you guys hung out with us. We are having such a blast. 
If you are too, please like, rate, and share this podcast. Mm. Cannot wait to talk to you guys again. Give me that microphone.